0: Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to linode.com changelog. This episode is brought to you by Auth0. Auth0 makes authentication easy. We love building things that are fun. And let's face it, authentication isn't fun. Authentication is a pain. It can take hours to implement. And even after you have your authentication in place, you have to keep your code secure, up to date, It's a mess. Auth0 makes it easy and fast to implement real-world authentication and authorization architectures into your apps and APIs. You can allow your users to log in however you want, regular username and password, Facebook, Twitter, enterprise identity providers like AD and Office 365, or let them log in without passwords just like Slack or WhatsApp. Get started. Grab the Auth0 SDK for your platform. Add a few lines of code to your project. This could be a mobile app, a website, or even an API. They all need authentication. Head to Auth0.io slash the changelog. That's the number zero in Auth0, not the word. No credit card is required. Sign up for Auth0 and get the free plan or try the enterprise plan for 21 days. Once again, Auth0.io slash the changelog. Again, the number zero and off zero, not the word zero. And tell them the change I'll send you. You're listening to the Change Log, a podcast featuring the hackers, leaders, and innovators of open source. I'm Adam Stachowiak, editor-in-chief of ChangeLog. Mike Parham is making his fourth appearance on the Change Law today to talk about his new project, Factory, a new background job system that's aiming to bring the best practices he's developed over the last five years in Sidekick to every programming language. We catch up with Mike on Sidekick, the future of background jobs, his thoughts on RocksDB and Factory versus BoltDB, Redis, or SQLite, how he plans to support Sidekick for the next 10 years, and his thoughts on Factory being a SaaS option in the future. Mike, this is your fourth time back on the show. I mean, obviously we we, we love you, man. We we love having you back. Episode ninety two, episode one thirty, episode one fifty nine, sidekick, inspector, and obviously sustaining open source. But uh, how do you feel to be back on the show? It's you're like a an OG around, regular, a regular. A regular. <laughs> it's like cheers. Everybody knows I'm your sure name.
1: Maybe, uh, maybe I should host the show for a little
0: bit. <laughs> that's not a bad hey, idea. We get an interesting about. idea.
1: <laughs> yeah no uh, well thank you for having me back and and you know it, it's uh it's pretty impressive that y'all have have stayed around that long and, and just continued uh with uh, this podcast for so long it's uh it's quite an achievement
0: i think this would be roughly episode 270 something ish so we're in the 270s not bad not bad wow around for roughly eight ish years almost that's incredible well, we're still here and you're still here as well,
2: which also is quite impressive. Uh, years and years of putting out awesome open source and also running a business around it. So congratulations on you also still being here <laughs> after all these
1: years. Thank you. I think we both had interesting journeys. Yeah. Certainly off the beaten path.
0: It is off the beaten path. Well, uh, on that note, let's, let's catch up a bit. I mean, I know that we can easily send folks back to those episodes and do a full on, but, you know, you got... Uh, kind of the main topic today factory but what's going on with sidekick that's like your your claim to fame so to speak you know you're sustaining an open source so to speak and you came out with inspector uh what's what's going new what's what's new for you
1: yeah so sidekick is definitely my meat and potatoes Uh, that's that's what's paying the bills right now but uh, you know i've made my career uh for the last five years on uh background jobs and so i've Done, uh, you know. Over the last year, I've done some thinking about um, new directions um, that uh, Sidekick's architecture does not allow. So um, where I went with that is building a new a new system called Factory, um, which is sort of an inverse to the design of Sidekick. And and part of that inversion allows it to be language independent. So whereas Sidekick is tied to Ruby, and sort of limits me and and my my customer base to people running Ruby. Um, factory is designed to be language independent, and so you can use factory with with any language. So the idea is that um, I can come out with this sort of opinionated background job framework uh, that's useful for any business application, and it doesn't matter what language you're you're authoring your business application in you can leverage uh, factory as infrastructure to scale your app. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. It's still early days, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. but this is something that I, I want to put my, my efforts into over the next year and, uh, and see what I can see, what I can make happen. So, uh, toward that end, I, um, two weeks ago, I think it was about two weeks ago, um, first announced factory and, and unveiled it. And so, uh, I'm approaching the the sort of second alpha release um, this week, and um, and then over the next few months it'll just be you know the, sort of the daily drudgery of of building up a, a new large system, mm. uh, and and hopefully you know building a new separate. Um, uh, division of my business so to speak uh, around oh. factory and possible you know commercial variants
0: have you hired anybody yet or are you still solo what's what's the scenario there
1: yeah i'm still solo today um but i'm i'm thinking that if factory is successful and i get a commercial variant that is selling uh well and it looks like it is uh, sustainable then i probably would um hire you know one or two people to uh, to join me in the effort of of maintaining this because ultimately uh, my vision for factory is an order of magnitude larger than sidekick. And at that scale, at that size, I think I sort of run out of steam yeah. and I'll need help to, to support yeah. the, the number of customers that I have and that sort of thing.
0: We don't want you to burn out right? <laughs> or work too hard. Yeah, one of the two it. What's that, you know, working too yeah. hard, burning out. Is that the same thing?
1: Uh, yeah, one can lead to the other for sure. <laughs> mm hmm.
2: This move kind of reminds me of uh, Heroku's move back in the day. I don't remember when it was anymore, but, you know, they were originally, well, all the way originally, they were actually like a web IDE for Rails, which was cool, but wasn't really a product that people were buying. Then they were a hosting platform for Ruby on Rails, and then they took funding and, you know, got big, and I'm not kind of sure when Salesforce acquired them, if it was before or after this move, but the shift to Polyglot from them was very much a move to broaden their customer base and so i see your move from sidekick which is ruby based to you know something that attempt that potentially can facilitate a service for you know lots of different languages lots of different uh, uh companies what drives the the desire for you to get that hu- you know that much bigger potential customer base is it is it uh just want to grow in the business is it money is it you're bored. Tell some of your drivers to say, "You know what? I'm going to move outside of my meat and potatoes and try for a for
1: a bigger, bigger pool." Well, ultimately, I think um, background jobs are something that um, can benefit almost every business application out there, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the a lot of the background job systems out there are language specific, like Celery, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. Or they are language um, agnostic, like Beanstalked, but they are um, essentially abandoned now, where where no one's maintaining them. And uh, on top of that, I think a lot of the the background job systems that are out there that are language agnostic don't have a lot of they don't have the years and years of additional really nice features that become uh, super useful in building business applications. Um, Sidekick has sort of proven that there is a market Mm -hmm. for these frameworks that allow you to um, scale job processing across many machines along with the APIs that you inevitably need when you're scaling your processing across many machines, things like rate limiting, um, things like cron jobs, all this kind of stuff. Uh, are really useful um, generic tools that, uh, that I want to bring to everybody. Uh, You know, I'm proud of the fact that sidekick really took uh, jobs to the next level in the Ruby world. And so I want to do that same taking to the next level for everybody else Mm -hmm. and, and not have everybody else sort of reinventing the same thing over and over, but slightly different. If I, if we can all standardize, I mean, with Rails, we, it was proven that if we all standardize sort of on one framework that everyone can use, then uh, you can move so much faster and you can build so much more.
2: Hmm. So you yeah, got six months in the works um, as of the announcement post, which, like you said, was a couple of weeks ago as of the time of this recording. Uh, for those listening, it was October 24th, I believe, of 2017. Uh, Sixth month in the works. You said that you kind of inverted the architecture. I guess we could just dive right in and talk about factory in it. terms of the way that you built it and all sure. the fun nitty gritty. Tell us about this uh, you know, this inversion from Sidekick and how factories put together.
1: Yeah. So the way that Sidekick works is that you have a centralized data store in in the um, in this case it's Redis and it's running on some machine. And then you have one or more Sidekick processes which are talking to Redis. And that Sidekick worker process implements all of the features that are required for job processing. And so all those features are implemented in Ruby that is running in that Sidekick worker process. And so all of those worker processes, they all talk to what I call this dumb data store, uh, Mm -hmm. which is Redis in that Redis doesn't have any logic in it. It just stores, you know, bits of data. And and all my logic that that operates on that data is all built in Ruby. And so that's why you're locked into Ruby because all of the advanced Sidekick features that I sell are all implemented in Ruby also. Now, with Factory, what I'm doing is, is I'm sort of embedding that data store into factory directly. And so factory is a standalone daemon, kind of like Redis, where instead of exposing a bunch of data structure operations like Redis does, I expose a bunch of job operations. And so all of my logic, all of my feature logic can be embedded in that factory server daemon that is uh, sort of the central hub and now all of your factory worker processes can be implemented in any language, because they don't have any of those more advanced job features uh, th- that need to be implemented in them. All they do is pull a job and execute it,
3: uh-huh.
1: and and then tell factory when that when the job is done. And factory does everything else. It it keeps track. It gives you the web UI so you can sort of track all the jobs that you have in your system and. And errors that have occurred, and showing you your sets of worker processes that you have out there, and, and what they're working on at any given moment, and so that really makes the, those the factory worker processes much simpler than the Sidekick worker process now. And so, in the in the last two weeks since I announced it, I've had people uh, implement uh, factory workers in six different languages, uh, which is is pretty amazing to see.
2: Yeah, we actually noticed that uh listed out there. You got Ruby Go, Python three, PHP Rust, Elixir Node.net. Obviously the Ruby and the Go ones are you know, first party official uh worker li- right. libraries or what do you call them worker libraries.
1: Yeah, see, yeah client yeah, climate libraries, worker libraries. libraries. Sure. It, producer consumer libraries. Yeah. And
2: yeah, and the comment we have in the note is just kind kinda of wow. <laughs> kind of wow how many there are already
1: Pretty considering fast.
2: this is this is brand new so that speaks a little bit to i think uh, your reputation in the community and, and the fact that people are getting excited about this it also probably speaks to what you just said is that they are much simpler to do than the sidekick worker
1: process well one of the reasons why i built factory is because over the years the last couple of years i've heard um you know dozens of people ask is there something like sidekick for my language and so that tells you that there's a there's a bit of demand there. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if it's enough demand to, to warrant, um, you know, venture capital investment and a and hundred million dollar valuation, but mm-hmm. that's not what I'm shooting for. I'm shooting for, you know, mon pause artisanal software, um, that I can I that. sort of, you know, build and maintain with, uh, you know, me or a small crew over the mm-hmm. next decade. You know, that's, that's kind of the scale that I've always wanted to operate at.
2: Yeah. Do you ever think about, uh, the speed at which, you know, a highly funded company? So mom mom pot, you know, what they're concerned about usually is Walmart and Amazon and these huge, you know, megacorps coming in and steamrolling them. First of all, have you faced any fierce competition from startups or do you have that, uh, that fear if a factory is successful, somebody can throw a hundred million into the rink and, and squash you?
1: Well, I mean, if they throw a hundred million into the rink, um, you know, what does that, what does that entail? What does that mean? Well, typically that means that they, they need to make a 10 X return if, right. if that's venture capital. Nobody
0: invests without a return or right. they want one at least. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of people invest that every in return,
1: which means they've got to make a billion dollars, but, but that means that they, their pricing needs to be commiserate with that right. funding and with that profit goal. Um, so I can keep my prices so low that it doesn't matter if, mm-hmm. if some big corp wants to come in. Uh, as long as I'm making X thousand dollars a year, I can sustain myself forever. It doesn't right. matter if Amazon comes in and, and you know, Amazon's going to have SQS, RabbitMQ is a thing. There's all sorts of different queuing systems uh, that are commercial. hmm as long as the market is big enough for another entry, it, it's not a winner take all thing.
0: And it goes back to what you said too, like you've gotten over the years, lots of people saying, Hey Mike, is there a psychic from my language? And so that's definitely indicators for, you know, what people might call product market fit, you know, where you've got an idea where, you know, sidekick as a model has worked for Ruby and others see it and they're excited about it. And they say, well, how do I use that for my language? And now you have, you know, waypoints to say this is a good thing to invest in.
1: Yeah. And, and people have, you know, some of the pushback I got on my initial announcement was, oh, people should should just use job library X or use Rabbit. Or, or why would you, if you know, if you're in the cloud, why would you use this instead of SQS or something like that? But, you know, that's kind of like asking if the Honda Accord exists, why would you buy a Toyota Camry, or you know, why would you buy a, a Ford F one hundred and fifty? Well, you know, they're they're different things. Um, they mean different things to different people. Different brands mean different things. They have uh, different capabilities and different um, opinions, and and different use cases for different business apps. Uh, a business app that needs to scale to billions of jobs per day might be better off using SQS, where you can sort of scale infinitely. Um, but your ops headache is going to be commiserate with that choice. So um, what I find is that pe- the people that use my stuff tend to be smaller shops that they don't mind paying a 1000 or $2,000 to solve a problem immediately. They just don't want a lot of ops headache, and they don't want to roll their own. So they'd rather pay me to give them a pre-baked solution that has Mm -hmm. all the opinions already baked in and solves a well-known problem. And then they can get on with their life. Yeah.
0: So what do you think it is? It's a secret sauce for sidekick that makes people want to have it for their language. You know, so if psychic is focused on Ruby, what is the secret sauce? Have you bowled that down? Do you know what that is?
1: Well, uh, that's, that's tough to say. Um, there, there's an aspect of performance because Sidekick was certainly um, much higher performance than a lot of the existing Ruby solutions. Um, it baked in a lot of features that the previous solutions all kind of separated into, into separate gems. So, you know, taking the example of Rescue, one of the reasons I built Sidekick was because Rescue forced you to integrate like six different gems just to get the web UI, to get retries, to get sort of a threaded model where you could get a higher performance than just forking per job. So having a strong opinion about how to bake all this stuff into one sort of comprehensive singular package um, is important to some people. It certainly makes your ops a lot easier where you can just depend on one, one easy package instead of having to sort of, tie together a half a dozen different packages all with different versions all maintained by different people so i think i think that's um sort of sidekicks secret sauce Mm. and um in factory i try to bake as much stuff into into it also to to try and you know sort of bake as much value into it so that because ultimately that's what that's what people are responding to is is they want to see the value in there that um, this solves their problem and comes with a lot of little nice bells and whistles that they can use.
2: So one feature we'll, we'll talk about, I guess a comparison and and one thing to, to, to stay is since factory is so new, you know, it's not feature it doesn't have feature parity with sidekick. Um, that would have, he would have <laughs> released it for a while to get that done. But one thing we talk about secret sauce or like is the bits that you make sure are coming over is it does have a Sidekick-inspired web UI, which has become something that, as a longtime Sidekick user, I'm just very used to the web UI being there. And so that at least seems like something that you know is very important to many people. Is that fair to say?
1: For sure, um, it setting up the web UI for uh, Sidekick for many people is a bit uh, can be a bit difficult, especially if they have a, a fairly complex um, web application. So baking it into factory so that it's it's just a HTTP port and they can hit it with their browser really simplifies a lot of that and and it's also going back to what I was saying before with it's a big part of the value there is mm-hmm. um, it's a nice attractive web UI that is is baked in you know you looked at something like Gearman or or uh, Beanstalked I don't know that they have a UI that's built in. Uh, I think being stocked, uh, the web UI does not come with it, and you have to download a third-party web UI and set that up, configure that. Whereas uh, with factory, it's all it's all built into the system. Um, but where that's useful is that because the web UI is baked into the the one binary, is the versions always work together. The The, the storage and the web UI aren't two separate things that you need to, that you can possibly update separately. And then now they need to talk to each other and deal hmm. with different versions. It's just one binary. They're, they're part of one whole. And so there's no, there's no configuration. There's no management of the things as two separate units. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now
2: that's interesting. It seems like your goal to push more features into the server side but then also to simplify in terms of deployment and management, um, storage, like you're removing dependencies with Redis being removed. I think we should dive into that a little bit in a minute. But um, have you struggled to find a balance between trying to make things simple <laughs> and yet still make it feature rich inside that single binary?
1: Well, that's that's always a, a struggle. Um, keeping a system uh, as simple as as possible and, and and considering the trade-off of complexity versus features um, is, is part and parcel to software engineering in general. But um, I have definitely struggled with uh, what I can put into factory and what I can't, Uh, you know, there are some things where you're going to need the worker process that is executing the jobs. You're you're gonna have to get some implementation from it for some features. Uh, for instance, the worker has to acknowledge that the job is finished, right? If it if it fetches a job, it has to then tell Factory, "Hey, I'm done with this now." Uh, there's there's simply no way to not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also things like uh, APIs, like rate limiting, uh, is is one example where. Ah, uh, your job may want to do some sort of rate limited operation. and if I build that into factory, that's fine. Um, but but the worker is going to have to call that rate limiting API um, to ensure that the rate limit is being enforced um, at any given moment. And so, yeah, there there are some features that I can I can bake into factory sort of transparent to the worker process, but there are others that I can't. And so that'll influence a lot of the future feature design and, um, and sort of the features that'll be in commercial versions versus the open source version.
0: This episode is brought to you by GoCD. GoCD is an open-source continuous delivery server built by ThoughtWorks. It provides continuous delivery out-of-the-box with its built-in pipelines, advanced traceability, and value stream visualization. With GoCD, you can easily model, orchestrate, and visualize complex workflows from end-to-end. It supports modern infrastructure with elastic on-demand agents and cloud deployments. And their plugin ecosystem ensures GoCD will work well in your unique environment. To learn more about GoCD, visit gocd.org changelog. It's open source and free to use, and there's also professional support and enterprise add-ons available from ThoughtWorks. Once again, gocd.org changelog.
2: Your moving pieces that you've removed from factory or I guess never included in factory which is a a big part of Sidekick and you mentioned it previously is Redis Um, but you gotta persist at Q somewhere so tell us about that decision to to remove Redis and what you're doing
1: instead yeah so this was quite possibly the hardest decision I had to make in in designing and the initial implementation of factory. um, Obviously you got to store data somewhere. You got to, you got to track things and persist things. And so the, if I wanted to invert sort of the logic and push the logic from the worker process into the actual server itself, um, I would need to embed a storage engine effectively. Um, And Redis is not embeddable. Now, Redis has Lua hooks, it has modules, but all of those are not designed to build products on top of. They are designed for the end user to customize Redis for their own application. For instance, I can't package up factory as a module and distribute it because modules for Redis can only be, you have to compile a module into Redis. Huh. And and on top of that, I I'd, I'd be building on on top of Redis, which uh, believe me, I I considered for a while because um, I've got you know thousands of lines of code which already have all these features implemented for it. <laughs> right. uh, so I could I could literally just you know port the system over if I if I wanted to, but um, but ultimately um, I decided to go with a, an engine that could be embedded so that I could just ship a single binary, a single compiled binary. And uh, so I looked around for a bunch of different things. And the best option that I sort of landed on today is is RocksDB, which is an embedded key value store that is uh, built and maintained by Facebook. They use Rocks to power a lot of their internal services. And so to me, that production sort of quality is there. Which mm. I, I, you know, you, you never know if you're just using some random open source library. Um, right. I wanted, I wanted something that had a good production, uh, usage already. And, you know, Redis obviously has tons of production usage, so it's, it's rock solid. Yeah. Um, but rocks has rocks has proven to be extremely fast and, uh, its production story, at least at Facebook, is um, is also uh, good. So, you know, to, to me, that was the best option that I had. Um, Rocks does have some trade-offs. It, it has some, um, some drawbacks versus Redis. But, you know, like I said, it's, it's, the best, uh, it's the best of what's out there right now.
2: It's interesting to think about the, the, the long-term. So the factory is successful and you continue building on the long-term implications of that particular decision. Because um, well, a lot of us don't consider our dependencies really well thought out anyways, but you know, when you have when you're putting together, especially at like the application layer, you're you're putting together usually lots of different things to serve different purposes. And some dependencies, even like sidekick, right? Like, okay, it's pretty much the the, the one you go to in the Ruby world now, but in its day, you for background jobs, you could have reached for rescue and sidekick and I think delayed job, although that was getting crufty at the time. And you So these decisions are kind of made without extreme consideration sometimes. And sometimes that bites you and sometimes it doesn't, especially if they're more, you can just swap them in and out, right? The more modular pluggable they are, you say, well, I don't really like background job anymore. I'm going to swap out for sidekick. But with this decision and anybody who's doing persistence, right? When you're selecting your persistence engine, it has huge ramifications down the road. So it's a really big decision to make. Um, Give us some insight, like how did you go about you you said that it was you know production great and you liked that Facebook was behind it. Um, but what was your process? Like, what did you go about, okay, i I'm going to compare against Redis. I want something embeddable, but it sounds like you weren't completely sold against Redis at the time, even though you preferred an embedded solution. Did you just google around, find all the embedded go things and then compare them? What was your what's your style of picking a, a big dependency like that?
1: Uh, there's a couple things that, that I was looking for. Um, first was that I knew that I wanted to use go to build it. So I knew that I had to have something that would integrate with my language of choice. Um, number two concern was, uh, long-term support. You know, is this thing going to be, uh, worked on for the next, you know, in years, is it going to be something that I can submit a bug for? And someone will look at it in days rather than months or years mm-hmm. <laughs> or never. Right. Um, you know, so you, you look at something like uh, SQLite. That's a great example of a storage engine that mm-hmm. is um, something that I would consider using if I wanted a SQL engine for uh, a product like like Factory. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely would have gone with something like SQLite because it's it has proven to be uh, long-term reliable, uh, long-term supported, um, and, and sort of has has this proven track record over multiple years. Um, when I when I first was looking for storage engines, uh, I went straight to Bolt DB, which has a really good reputation in the Go community uh, as this nice embedded key-value store um, mm-hmm. library. And um, Ben Ben Johnson the the maintainer has a very good reputation um as a as a good developer. And uh so I looked at Bolt. Um Bolt is great. Uh the problem I found though is that it it's very slow for the use case that the factory wants to use it for, which is a lot of inserts and deletes really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, Bolt is more of like a binary tree type storage system where you don't necessarily insert a ton, but you maybe read a lot. So maybe for like indexes and stuff like that, it's really good. But um, with queues, you push a job into the queue and then you pop it off really fast. And so you're inserting and deleting with some, usually within microseconds or milliseconds of each other. And so that's where um, RocksDB's design uh, really shines because it, it proved to be, you know, a hundred to a thousand X faster than BoltDB. And so RocksDB's design is what's called an LSM, a log structured merge tree, I believe. The idea is that it it every persistence operation writes to a log and then regularly the system will take that log and sort of persist it to an actual File that is sort of a binary tree, but if the log just contains like an insert and then a delete, then it'll actually never get into the binary tree. Mm. And so your 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 writes, your fast, really fast writes, prove to just be uh, constant order time instead of log in. So if you know anything about logar- uh, algorithmic complexity, um that's a that's a really nice uh, advantage.
0: How did you get to that research? Did you did you find a white paper, blog post? You just tinker with it. Like, what got you there to get that understanding? Because, like, is that on the surface from the readme?
1: When I was originally building the storage subs- subsystem for Factory, I um, designed it out with a few interfaces, and then I just built two different implementations. One was a RocksDB implementation, and one was a bolt DB implementation. And then I wrote a load test for it, oh. and and ran a load test and. The, the pushing and popping on queues um, for Bolt was was about a thousand times slower than Rocks, and even though Rocks has some disadvantages over Bolt, uh, namely it's written in C plus so it pulls in uh, the entire C runtime and and it uh, increases the complexity of building Factory. Um, it the the performance is the performance advantage outweighs that that disadvantage.
0: Yeah. What's interesting too, is both these projects were born around the same time, 2013. And this reminds me, Jared, so much of the, the call we had with Oz, you know, just kind of like the, the perspective you have when choosing a database or a dependency, as you asked earlier, you know, like the, the yeah. process you go through for which you, you don't just use it because it's popular because, um, you know, somebody that, you know, and respect, you know, wrote it, you kind of do your own due diligence and A-B test in this case with Mike, you know.
3: Right.
2: Yeah, it's tricky too because on the other side of, um, I don't know what you'd call like haphazard tr- selection of dependencies or like pick the first one that looks good, you go with. Uh, on the other side of that is some serious analysis paralysis, which you can get into as well. Yeah. Right. On the far extreme is, um, you know trying 15 different choices and running all these tests and spending months and months and then still not <laughs> pushing the needle forward. Um, and, but that being said, I think the, the the best way once you've gotten to a point where maybe you've narrowed it down by, by features and by uh, these other heuristics support, the other things that Mike's been talking about is you just got to see how it works for your use case. You know, you can't, you can use somebody else's blog post as a waypoint for your decision but their use case may be sl- even just slightly different than yours. Um, like Mike noticed with with uh, queue. obviously the reads and writes, the pop, the, the pushing and the popping happening really fast. Well, if he would have read a blog post about Bolt and not tried it for himself and just thrown it in and kept on building, um, he would have missed out on an opportunity to have a a much better performing dependency. So.
0: Well, Mike, maybe pontificate on that. Like, what uh, if you hadn't done that research? You know, what would the user experience of Factory be if you went the other route, which was t- a thousand times slower? In in your case, would it just be slower, or not? Not too, would you have released it?
1: You know, where would you be at? Um, I, I think anybody who's sort of trying to build a professional caliber tool is going to have load tests of some sort and sort of performance tests just sort of get a a baseline feel of performance of of the system so that, you know, over the next few major releases, you can detect regressions and that sort of thing. Um, So I I think it was just natural for me as as an engineer trying to build a quality product. I just said, okay, well, I've got to build a load test here. And then, you know, so I built it with Bolt and ran it and got like, you know, 50 pushes and pops a second, and said, Whoa, that's way slower than I expected it was going to be. Um, and so once I saw that, I thought to myself, Okay, I need to either tune Bolt or sort of determine uh, what's wrong here. So I actually uh, pinged Evan Phoenix, who is a, also a really well known Ruby and, and Go person. And he um, he told me about the the LSM the log structured merge design, and and pointed me to LevelDB, and and uh, and projects like that. So Evan said, "Oh, this is not uh, just a, a flag you can tune in Bolt. It's part of the design of Bolt. That is why the performance is is this slow." And so that's when I I said, "Okay, well I want to I'm going to abstract the storage out into interfaces and build another impol uh, with uh, LSM." implementation of some sort and uh and looked around for level D B uh implementations and that's when I found rocks.
2: Nice. Phone a friend option. Always useful.
1: <laughs> but that's that's where uh, yeah I mean you, you talk to your your friends in the industry and who, who mm-hmm. sort of know what they're talking about, <laughs> certainly more than me at the time. Um and, and uh and get a feeling for, you know, what's what's going wrong, what what which of your assumptions are being violated here. And uh, mm. And my assumption was that uh, bolts was uh, a, a good implementation for the pattern, the persistence pattern that I needed, but that that proved to be false. So um, you know if you're if you're doing um, well, i I don't want to I don't want to pontificate on what the right <laughs> use cases are for bolts. but uh, but suffice it to say that uh, uh, rocks has proven to be, um, you know, like I said, orders of magnitude faster. And so, uh, I, I realized that I had to go with, uh, something like rocks. Now I couldn't find any other level DB clone for go that was really sort of protect production hardened. And that's why I went with rocks because, you know, I would, I would have preferred and loved to have seen something that was native go. Yeah. Um, something that I, I, something that I could tell is running in production and is going to be supported for the next, you know, in years. And, and I know that Facebook has several engineers working full time on rocks uh, and they're pushing new new versions all the time. So that is a very strong endorsement um, to use it in my own stuff.
2: So uh, just found it here. We actually had Ben Johnson on the changelog back in 2015 talking about Bolt DB. I think he actually compared and contrasted it with level DB at the time. So he's very well <laughs> aware of these different architectures. Um, and Adam, I don't think you're on that show. I think it was just me and Ben talking. We also had Ben on GoTime. He's he's somewhat of a regular around here as well, great developer. And these aren't things that he would take like as a personal slight against Bolt. This is just the way that they're built. They're built for, you know, different optimizations and um Bolt, be
1: not fitting yeah, uh factories exactly. use case. Yep. I've never I've never met Ben. Uh, you know, he's a Twitter Twitter friend, but mm-hmm. he's always been perfectly a perfectly pragmatic uh, person. Um, and I and I like and I would hope that we would have that in common. Um, you know, what is a, a tool that is awesome and appropriate for one use case could just completely fall over for another use case, and and that's just that's just software for you. So um, <laughs> exactly, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> and like I said, I pinged Evan Phoenix initially because I know I know he's used Bolt before, um, just for him to to sanity check uh, I, he, he had access to the factory, uh, repository from day one, just cause I I like to have a backup person in case I get hit by a bus who can actually sort of open source the code that I was working on at the time. And that way it's not just lost to the sands of time, but I gave, uh, Evan access from day one. And so he had access to the factory code and I, and I, pointed him to the load test and I pointed him to the storage implementation. And I said, am I going crazy here? Um, you know, I'm getting these kind of, um, unusually slow numbers, uh, over what I expected. And, and he, he was the one who looked at it. So Ben just didn't have access to the repo. And so that's why I, I turned to Evan.
2: hmm so you you selected RocksDB now both of those would have been embedded tell us about the the ramifications of embedded with regards to i guess the practical use of factory so i always think of it as people understand how to maintain uh, redis because it's a standalone thing so they're used to backups they're used to redundancy or whatever the really the ops side of redis is when you have an embedded thing it's just like is your is all your data just in that binary, where does it store stuff? Tell us about that and how you back it
1: up right. and stuff like that. So embedded just means that the storage subsystem is running within your process. It's not running as a separate daemon over the network. So you know, my MySQL, Postgres, Redis, all of those are sort of network storage demons. Right. Um, whereas embedded means that it's running within my process, and my process is the factory process. So, factory is both an, a network daemon that sort of uh, surfaces an API that workers can call, but it also has a storage subsystem, so it can it can persist all the data that its APIs um, sort of expose. Um, and so, what that means is that uh, factory basically has a storage directory on your disk where um, you know it, it places all these different data files. That contain your persisted job data, and gotcha. all of that data is RocksDB. Effectively, RocksDB owns the data in that directory, and I just I just point RocksDB to say, "Here's the factory database. Please mm-hmm. open it up and let's get started."
2: So the backups would be similar to just a disk copy.
1: Well, uh, just files on disk. Not quite. Not oh. quite. Um, RocksDB does surface uh, backup and restore APIs. So you have to call the backup API and you have to call the restore API. And so factory exposes those APIs as a command line tool. So Fact- factory has a factory CL- CLI um, command line tool where you can say factory CLI backup and factory CLI restore. And that's it. It just uh, it, it does it all automatically for you based mm-hmm. on the backups that you've taken so I would have, I, I envision people uh, taking a backup maybe every five minutes or every hour or uh, whatever they want to do, and then if they find that their store has for some reason gotten corrupted or the disk breaks or whatever, then mm-hmm. they can restore their latest backup and and get back uh, most of the data that uh, that has been lost.
2: So your overall take on. Uh... On ripping Redis, I would keep, I keep calling it removing, even though it, it probably it was never there. Uh, but not including Redis, like here you are, you're in alpha, you're you're out there. You've seen people's feedback. Um, you've built the system around RocksDB. Are you are you happy with that choice at this point? Are you having buyer's remorse, uh, or are you missing Redis at all? <laughs> How do you feel?
1: Um, Well, it's been a mixed bag, like like any sort of decision. Um, there, there's good and bad parts of it. Um, with Rocks, the tools that it gives me are much lower level than Redis. You know, I'm dealing with C++ APIs mm. rather than uh, a nice set of uh, data structure commands that that Redis exposes. Um, you know, ultimately, Redis is a, is a great thing. I, I love it. Um, I I will never consider ripping it out of Sidekick. Uh, people have asked me to build Sidekick for other storage engines, and you know m- my take is no way. Uh, Sidekick is optimized for Redis, uh, and Redis gives you a lot of a lot of like you say um, built-in ops knowledge in the industry. If people know how to run Redis. There are Redis SaaSes that are out there that um, where you can just say, hey, here's fifty dollars a month. Give me a Redis URL. And boom! Now you've got something that you can run Sidekick against. Factory doesn't have that, but Factory is still brand new. We're working on that. Um, you know, Rocks doesn't give me some of the things that Redis does have, like replication. So I can't I can't run a, um, a replica in a in another availability zone or another data center, and uh, and have sort of a almost real time backup. So there are there are trade offs uh, for sure but ultimately uh, redis didn't have that embedded mode that i had to have if i wanted to you know sort of centralize the logic into a a, a single binary so you know the ease of use of factory is awesome because it's just a single binary you just run but it comes at the you know the, these trade-offs of losing the built-in ops lore that that redis has in the community
0: This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice. Everything we do here at ChangeLog is hosted on Linode servers. Pick a plan, pick a distro, and pick a location. And in seconds, deploy your virtual server, drool worthy hardware, SSD cloud storage, 40-gigabit network, Intel E5 processors, simple, easy control panel, nine data centers, three regions, anywhere in the world they've got you covered. Head to linode.com ChangeLog and get $20 in hosting credit. And buy TopTowel. TopTal is the best place to work as a freelancer, or hire the top three percent of freelance talent out there for developers, designers, and finance experts. In this segment, I talk with Josh Chapman, a freelance finance consultant at TopTal, about the work he does and how TopTal helps him legitimize being a freelancer. Take a listen.
4: Yeah, in my arena within TopTel, I specialize in everything from market research to business plan creation, to pitch decks, to uh, financial modeling, valuation, and then that leads very naturally into fundraising strategy, capital raising strategy, investor outreach, closing a deal, deal negotiation, how to value the company, how to negotiate that, and all of those skill sets that I have continued to hone over on the TopTal side are ones that I actually deploy every single day in my own company. Freelancing can sometimes be seen as not legitimate or subpar work. Now, I would argue that when you work with a company like TopTal, they put so much vetting into not only the companies that you work with, but also the talent that you work with, which I'm on the talent side that it adds a level of legitimacy that isn't seen across other platforms. And that, for me, as the talent side, is incredibly fruitful and awesome to be a part of, right? I enjoy the clients. I enjoy the other talent that I get to talk to. I enjoy the TopTal team. And that creates an overall positive experience, not only for for TopTal, but for me as the talent and for the client as the company on the other side. And that is really not seen or is the experience across other platforms in the freelance market
0: so if you're looking to freelance or you're looking to gain access to a network of top industry experts in development design or finance head to toptal.com that's t-o-p-t-a-l.com and tell them adam from the Chings Law sent you for those wanting a more personal introduction email me adam at changelaw.com.
2: So Mike, you mentioned that there is no uh, SAS for factory, there's one for Redis, you can get a Redis to go URL or your insert, you know, Redis SAS underscore URL here. Is that a thing that I mean, because I'm thinking what's better than having uh, a a single binary is having no binary, right? Like, let me just get my worker process and I'll just point it out a factory thing and be off to the races. Is that something that's on your radar?
1: Absolutely. Um, 100%. It, that was part of when I sort of inverted the design, I realized, Hey, well, you know, if I'm centralizing all this stuff, there's no better description of centralization than SaaS, um, because that's really, uh, what you're doing is you're paying somebody else to, to sort of run this thing for you. So, yeah, I've, I've thought about it. Uh, one, one of the sort of decisions that I've made in the past is that I don't want to run a SaaS. I don't like the 24 seven <laughs> ops <laughs> situation. Well, I'm thinking about how factory could be used in that mode, and it can certainly be used to build a business that does that.
2: But you want someone else to build a business.
1: Exactly. So what I've thought about and what kind of – the direction I want to go is I want to put out a factory pro that I'm selling product that sort of is the same sort of model as Sidekick and Sidekick Pro and Sidekick Enterprise. That will have, um, some additional features that aren't in the open source version, but then I can also have, um, people who run sasses that can either offer factory for free, or they can offer factory pro, um, uh, for, an, for an additional monthly rate. And then I, I take a cut of that. Mm. So I can either sell I can either sell it on pre- on premises for in- anybody that wants to sort of run it internally, or I can offer Factory Pro through these sort of VARs value added resellers that are running SaaSs. Mm. And I've already got um, there's already one fellow who's expressed the desire to build a SaaS and who's already sort of announced that he's working in this direction. So I'm really curious to see what happens long term here.
0: I guess I, I'm I'm kind of curious of like uh, we asked earlier in the call, the state of inspector, right? And you had success with sidekick and inspector, you kind of took down the same path with a similar open source, open core pro model, right? Yeah. And support yeah. or things added on to that. I'm just wondering if because of the, the success of the psychic model has been so great that you feel like it is the right way for everything you do.
1: Well, I think that, inspector and inspector pro were less uh, (laughs) less of a success um i mean i've essentially given up on the the projects myself um yeah there i guess inspector is a very sort of mm, how would i describe it it's very limited in what it does it's sort of and it's funny. I released the 1.0, and it's kind of a 100% of the functionality that I ever wanted in it, really. Okay. Um, and the Pro version, I guess, doesn't seem to really add that much value on top of the open source version. So I really haven't seen much uptake uh, from the Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't seen that many sales from it. So, um, and it could also be that it's just it's kind of a a nice to have, but an optional piece of infrastructure. It's not core to any application development whereas i think sort of background jobs and scaling yeah uh, sort gotta, of business transactions have. across many machines that's a lot more companies around the world see that as as important to their app right so
0: another question on that is you know inspector is monitoring right it, i think back in the day you mentioned when we had you on the show talking about this it was sort of you know monitored but better if I can, if I can recall back to some of the things you said, there's, right. you know, full on SaaS businesses around monitoring, you know? So, and the question Jared asked you was like, you know, is this the next SaaS for you? And you said that you don't really want to do that. And so I see monitoring as this, not that I'm saying you missed it, but like this could have been potentially a SAS, you know, and then here you are with factory that could be a SAS and, Right. I'm not really seeing yeah. anything in particular. I'm just seeing like these are opportunities that could not just be open source and pro. And going back to that, is that the right model?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it could be that um, the the market that I was going for, um, you know, the product fit just wasn't there with the mm. direction that the industry was going. Mm. Um, you look at something like Datadog. It has um, monitoring for all these various different demons already.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um they're a big
0: business too. And and one of yeah, our sponsors yeah. too. So I mean that's Yeah,
1: no doubt. I mean I use them every day for uh I use them to monitor my own my own hosts. So uh you know I know and and, and love their service. Uh so you know it's quite possible that there just wasn't the product fit that that Sidekick had. Uh and you know and we'll see if, if factory has is is gonna fall more on the sidekick side or inspector side. But uh, you know, so far the uptake has been uh, has been nice to see, and like I said, I'm going to put another six months to a year into this, and and see what happens with Factory, uh, see if it grows nicely, or if it you know just sort of plateaus early and doesn't really go anywhere.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, time will tell.
2: Looking at this from a macro level, which I guess Adam and I tend to do because we talk to a lot of people in open source, trying to use different you know means and methods of sustaining their work in open source you know we look at exemplars and i think over time we've said you know you've got your you've got your red hat style you kind of have your GitLabs, labs you have your webpack who's making open collective work we've you've got evan you who's making patreon work and you have mike param who's making you know products kind of a freemium or not freemium what what, what do you call it like a pro and and community edition um, work i um, describe it as
1: open open core yeah
2: open core thank you just blank that. Um, but then I, I start to ask people, is is there anybody else like is there another web pack for that model? Is there another mic? And I, I don't know if there is. Like is there somebody else who's taken or done the same model that you've done in, in a similar scale with Sidekick and made that exact same model work very well in, in a similar fashion that you have that you know of?
1: Well, I, I know that there's been a lot of um... Java app servers, application servers like uh, JBoss, or um, I'm probably dating myself now, but you know, you look at WebLogic and WebSphere. Uh-huh. Uh, they all have sort of community additions but then they also have, uh, you know, the big corporate enterprise version. Right. And and typically, the enterprise version has additional features like, you know, I don't know, replication and data grid caching across. you know geo-replicated data caching and all this sort of stuff um so so it is a thing to to offer sort of a a light community version and then a more sort of product enhanced uh, more enhanced commercial version Mm -hmm. um, on top of that um yeah so i i think the java world the 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 world of application servers and and when you get right down to it that's kind of what sidekick is if you squint from really far away <laughs> Sidekick is kind of a, a ruby application server, you know, it's using rails for its major framework. Right. But, but at the end of the day, um, you're, you're doing work across your, you're farming work out to a, a farm of a cluster of machines. And, um, and that's, you know, part of what an application server does. Mm-hmm. The only part that sidekick doesn't do is the sort of website but, you know, that makes it sort of independent of of the web or, you know, whatever the style of the day might be.
2: Right. Well, let's get back to uh, up to back to factory and uh, as a service. The idea. So you have one person who's potentially interested. Let's say we have uh, listeners whose you know, ears are perking up. Perhaps they're entrepreneurial ops people with some development skills or whoever they think they happen to be. And they're like, wow, I could I could be a value added reseller for Mike. What's the what's the path there? What's the process? Like hit you up on Twitter, like email you privately. Are you soliciting for people who might want to do this or are you just hoping that one person does it and you can like make them the official factory service?
1: Uh, I'm not soliciting actively, but I'm, I'm happy to entertain offers. Um, the last thing I want is, is, um, you know, a dozen different drive-by emails from people who, um, who want me to provide Ninety percent of the tech work, and then yeah. they just sort of spin up a bunch of Docker containers on EC2, and they're done. <laughs> you know, that's that's not really what I want. Um, I'm I'm focused on the product, on the features, and sort of kind of trying to determine what goes in the community version, what goes in a commercial version, and so I would expect uh, a SaaS to more focus on obviously ease of spinning up an instance. But then things like uh, reliability and, and sort of data storage, backups and restores, automating all that so that um, anybody who's using factory doesn't have to deal with that or worry about, yeah. you know, a disk dying or something like that.
0: It's the last thing you want to worry about, right? It's, it's, uh, unless you have to do that, you know, unless you have to have that concern, you want to offload right. that to somebody else if you can because right. you get back to doing the viable stuff, which is building the product.
3: Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, ultimately I'm, I'm really limited by what RocksDB offers in terms of reliability and sort of high availability.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they don't, they don't provide um, sort of a clustering mode. They don't provide uh, real time replication. So, um, the, you know, the best I can offer right now is, is backups. Um, so you can call the backup API once a minute or once an hour, but uh, ultimately that's, that's sort of what I'm limited by.
2: Let's talk about, you know, Factory versus Sidekick. I'm sure we have lots of people out there using Sidekick and they're probably wondering what does this mean for Sidekick, A, and then B, should I be looking to switch off Sidekick because Factory offers performance or security or some other thing, ease of use that Sidekick will never offer me? What do you say to those folks?
1: Um, okay, well, th- those are two great questions. Um, the first thing I want to make clear is that Sidekick will be supported for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Um, as long as I, you know, I'll say right now for the next 10 years, sidekick will be supported, you know, without a doubt. Um, it's a big claim. Yeah. I'm, I'm making plenty of money right now where I can justify spending the next 10 years just focused on it. So, uh, you know, it will be around, it will be supported. I'm just an email away. If people have any problems with it, uh, as Ruby and rails, Change over time, Sidekick will change with them to work as best as it can. Um, Where Factory shines is that Ruby itself has started to get this reputation as sort of stagnant. Um, People aren't seeing it as the hot new thing, they're not necessarily using it to build new applications anymore. And so, you know, Sidekick is as robust as the Ruby community is. I mean, robust in terms of growth of my business. Uh-huh. So I don't want to see my business stagnate over time. So part of this effort is to bring the sidekick conventions and um and opinions to all languages, uh, and at the same time continue to grow as as those conventions and opinions uh grow more popular in all these different languages, hopefully my business will grow also. So the the question of should I use sidekick or should I use factory? Well, first of all, factory only has like you know, a quarter of the features that factory or that sidekick has today. So if you need something reliable today and you want to use Ruby sidekick is the natural choice, but over the next year or two factory will continue to get more features. It will presuming that the open source version gets traction. It will see a commercial version that has more features in it. And what you get with that is you get the polyglot design. So now Mm -hmm. Whatever your business, whatever language your business decides to use in the future, you can use Factory with it. So it's it's a little more um, future proof. As as the the winds of the industry change and languages come and go, uh, hopefully Factory will be there in all those new languages.
2: Yeah. Whereas you know, so with Sidekick, both the users and the business is locked into Ruby, but with Factory. You know, like you said, your business is now future proof in terms of reaching the hot new interesting platforms and languages. But also as other as your users' businesses change, they are not locking themselves mm-hmm. in. They can they can continue to grow and adapt their applications and not have to swap out their backgrounding infrastructure to do that. Right. Pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I, I see my value as not um, I'm selling you a bunch of Ruby code. Uh, and, and thus limiting myself. What I'm selling is the conventions and the opinions that a really nice, feature-rich background job system gives you, and and ideally that will scale to any programming language. You know, maybe not assembly language, but uh, hopefully everything else. <laughs>
2: Cool. Well, let's let's end with a little bit of a roadmap. Tell us where Factory, you know, where you're where you're aiming at for 1.0, perhaps, and uh, what's coming down the pipeline. And then we'll we'll talk about how people can hop in and help out.
1: Sure. Uh, well, as you mentioned, uh, the initial announcement was uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I'm preparing the second sort of alpha release right now. Uh, I've gotten probably about mm, half a dozen to a dozen different contributors that have really sort of populated the chat room and and started submitting PRs. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm getting pretty close to a hundred, a hundred PRs now, uh, just in the last two weeks, which is awesome. Uh, I've had people contribute several major features, including, um, job prioritization. So sidekick never had job prioritization where you could say like, in this queue, this job has priority nine or this job has priority one, um, like as in, you know, high or low priority.
2: Which one to run first, yeah.
1: Yeah, because people would ask me, how do I, you know, my queue is backed up. I've got a thousand jobs. I want to push this job to the front of the queue. And my mm. answer was always, well, you need to have a separate queue, which is like. Put
2: this it in
3: a queue, right.
1: Yeah, and so, um, and that's because uh, Redis didn't have a really good data structure for um for doing that uh really efficiently whereas now that i control the storage subsystem i can implement that easily and so um a fellow named andrew stuckey sort of really took a shine to factory when it was first announced and he suggested this feature and i said it sounds great although i'm not sure how to implement it and then this guy went along and just implemented it for me (laughs) so um so he he really is the the MVP of this this next release. Um, he did a great job on on implementing this thing. But uh, yeah, so now if you have like you know you have the default queue and you push a thousand jobs to it, now you can say priority nine, and that job will go all the way to the front of the queue and it'll be the it'll be the next one popped off, even though it was the last one pushed. Nice. So that I think I think people will find that really nice for sort of that use case of having like emergency jobs where you might have jobs that are sort of system generated and those are just normal jobs, but then you also have user, you know, user waiting type jobs. Right. And you want those jobs to fire off ASAP. That's where job prioritization really, really starts to shine. That's smart. Yeah. So that'll be in the next release, which um, I'm hoping will come out in the next week. Um, we're, we're putting some polish into uh, a cup, a Docker image so that um, people will be able to download factory straight from Docker Hub and run it right on their machine in seconds rather than having to build it, everything manually. Uh, we also landed a homebrew recipe so that people can actually install it um, from homebrew on on OS X directly. Sorry, it's called Mac OS now, I guess, right?
3: Mm.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm Isn't so right? old school, I call it OS X still. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the, just in the last two weeks, the the open source community response has been awesome, and it's been really invigorating to to already have a few um, uh, like I've already landed two or three uh, committers into the project who've who've submitted multiple PRs and and thereby earned the right to be a committer. So uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes, but um, you know the plan is over the next next couple months um, over the winter to sort of Stabilize factory, uh, evangelize its use, try to get try to get people starting to use it um, maybe even in staging or even in production if they're a little bit crazy. and uh, and also um, try and get some trusted um, comrades that can maintain the worker libraries. You know I maintain the Ruby and the go version, the the Ruby and Go worker libraries. um but but there's all those other ones that you mentioned that mm-hmm. uh, all have their own independent, um maintainers and I need to I need to ensure that that those maintainers um stay up to date with the latest changes in factory especially since it's so um amorphous right now it's it hasn't really solidified yet. We're still yeah. changing the protocol. We're still uh, adding new commands every mm. week. Um so over the next couple months that'll solidify and we'll really get a, a reliable set of commands that all the workers will support. Um,
2: you know that was one just real quick, Mike. That was one thing um, we recently did have the RabbitMQ team on. They've been, you know, they've been doing it for ten years. So we had them on to talk about uh, their ten-year anniversary of RabbitMQ, and and really, uh, they shared a lot of lessons that they they learned throughout that time because they've you know made all the mistakes and and had successes and along the way, and they were very open with us to to talk about those things. One of the things they said, which they've um, I guess they've they said that they've regretted to a certain degree, is that there are so many client libraries in various states of quality and support and oh, maintenance, yeah. and they're not, you know, they have a couple that are first party, just like in your circumstance, although you're just getting started with factory, is they didn't, they weren't always diligent to, you know, bring those people along and, like, keep those things quality and I can't remember the exact wording, but um, really just, I guess helping that ecosystem flourish in a way where, you know, for your particular language, there's a high-quality a high worker library available, which may not be, you know, developed by you or people that are employed by you, but the people who are working on it are keeping it up to date, are keeping it, you know, well-tested and well-documented uh, is hugely valuable to Factory as, a, as an overall ecosystem.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, earlier I mentioned that if, if Factory sees some success, I might be hiring people. Um, I think hiring people to maintain, um, the worker libraries, um, in addition to, you know, maintaining the core factory, um, repo, uh, would be a natural fit. You know, these people have shown, have shown an interest in the background job system. They've shown that they have the, the willpower to sort of learn a new system and dive in and sort of build something on top of it and and that goes a long ways in in uh building up a resume that says uh, that recommends right. them to so you know we'll see we'll see what happens over time but uh but hopefully i can i can get um uh, you know a half a dozen libraries for different languages that are well maintained and uh reliable because it really doesn't take more than that you know you need a a JavaScript. You need a, a Python. Um, you need a possibly like a Java or a C C Sharp mm-hmm. um, library, and and that's going to get you ninety percent of the the industry, right? And everything can kind of fall out from there. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, let's close with a
2: uh, a call to action or some sort of thing that people can do if they're interested. Obviously, we'll have all the links in the show notes to the typical pages. But if you had a specific thing that you could say to the open source community with regards to factory or what you're up to, what would be what would you ask of them?
1: Uh, I would just suggest that they download and run the the Docker image that we're going to publish for the next release, and and sort of give take it out for a spin, um, click around the web UI, and and sort of see see what it can do. Um, And we'll, we'll try and publish like a rails app that can be used uh, to do work against factory because, you know, there's, there's a couple moving parts here. So it's, it's not a a trivial thing to just sort of download and run. Um, But I'll make, I'll do my best to make that easy. And, uh, and hopefully the the listeners can uh, take it for a spin and see what it's all about.
0: You mentioned that you can install via homebrew as well and you, have to tap that first. Do you have a tap? Because it's still kind of in flux?
1: It, yeah, I think it's a cask or a tap or something like that. BrewTap and Tripsys
0: slash factory and then brew install factory. So
1: that's it. Yeah, that's it.
0: We got so the, I guess it is a tap. All right. Tap that. <laughs> we got. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll link up the installation uh, docs, which also has your Docker and, and Linux intro, uh, information there as well. In the show notes, uh, and then you also have Gitter. So you mentioned earlier uh, being able to chat. So I guess if anybody wants to talk to you in real time, they can go to your Gitter chat room for this.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 not in there all the time, but I'm I'm trying to jump in when I can. Yeah. Uh, I do find real time chat to be uh, kind of a time sink. So I, you know, I have been jumping into it the last couple of weeks just because, you know, I'm trying to get people, uh, ramped up and started with the system and, mm-hmm. and we've struck, you know, when I initially released it, I didn't really have any easy way for people to get started with it. So the, the chat room was and me walking them through it was really the only way. Um, but now that we got homebrew and we got Docker, I think it's easier for people to get started without, without having to get, you know, directions directly from me.
0: Yeah. That's good. It's, it's an advice to the community to, to gather around it. And that's a good place to go at least. And Even if you're not there all the time, it's a good central location to at least queue up some things.
1: Yeah. And there'll be other people in there all the time too. I'm sure um, some, some seasoned pros with factory pros uh, who have upwards of two weeks of knowledge of the system. Upwards of two weeks. (laughs) That can, uh, that can help, you know, answer, (laughs) answer questions. Good one.
0: Well, Mike, it's, it's been a pleasure having you back. I mean, I'm so uh, thrilled to see, you know, our paths continue to align and then your continued success. And don't take my questions earlier as, a, as anything negative towards the success you've done. Because you're you certainly a model for success when it comes to sustaining open source and uh, your family and, and building a business around it. Like You're very much a model for people to follow. We appreciate you sharing your time. Thanks.
1: I appreciate the 10 words.
0: Alright, thanks for tuning into the show this week. If you enjoyed the show, share it with a friend, tweet about it, and thank you to our sponsors Off 0 Linode, GoCD, and TopTile. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. We host everything we do on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. Check them out. Support this show. The changelog is hosted by myself, Adam Stakoviak, and Jared Santo. Editing is by Jonathan Youngblood. And the awesome music you've been hearing is produced by the Mysterious Break Master Cylinder, and you can find more shows just like this at ChangeLaw.com or by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.